Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Today we get to hear another preacher, Marva Dawn. Marva Dawn is a theologian, an author, an educator. Uh, she holds a Ph.D. in Christian ethics and scriptures from the University of Notre Dame. She's taught at Regent College. Uh, she's just a wonderful woman of faith whose books, whose, whose ministry has reached far beyond uh, any one locale or denomination. And she came to Beeson Divinity School as a part of a conference we did several years ago uh, Dr. Alistair McGrath and I chaired this conference, which actually became a book uh, on For All the Saints, Evangelical Theology and Christian Spirituality. Dr. Smith, tell us what Marva Dawn is going to share with us in this very engaging sermon. This message will evoke not only conviction, but a sense of refreshment because she's talking about the Sabbath, her title, An Enormous Gift for Our Spirituality, based on Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 and following. Uh, she gives us seven points, Dean George, so she says this is not a three-point sermon. It is not. Uh, it is expository in that she's walking through the text, and it's balance. She quotes Dallas Willard and says, grace does not mean without effort, but without earning. So one of her principal doctrines is grace. Obviously, the central one is Sabbath. She deals uh, uh, with eschatology in a great sense. Uh, I think that this sermon uh, is a sermon that will help us to practice holiness that she admits is already there and must not uh, attempt it to be uh, cranked out, uh, that it is there because of grace. She uses supporting texts like Psalm 23, this idea of resting this idea that uh, the Sabbath is not a day off, but a day for. She shares her experience. And then um, more than anything else, she says to us that Jesus desires for us to stop and rest and points out that the main cause of death these days comes as a result of stress. And I uh, really appreciated, uh, Dean, the fact that she would give her own personal experience of being without vision for seven months and how she understood that the justification of her existence was not her performance, but really uh, in the Christ in which she rested. So I think um, that this message will um, be um, one that brings encouragement. Um, there's great reflection. There's great identification. Her being a member of the African-American church, uh, her wide experience, and coming out of that saying that I only rest uh, that is permanent and fulfilling is the rest that we have in God. Let's listen to our wonderful friend and teacher, Marva Dawn. I ask to make a bit of explanation right now so that it will not interrupt the flow of worship as we progress before the sermon. But I think it's important uh, for you to share in three things from my tradition from which I grew up so that this worship can be more meaningful to you. One, I should comment why I'm wearing white when everyone else is wearing black, uh, why I wear an alb. Uh, contrary to Dr. Um, 
king yesterday whose gifts are far greater than mine. I cannot both lecture and preach. Um, and so I wanted to focus on preaching this morning so that it stays as worship, and I'll lecture tomorrow. But the alb reminds me that it is not my word. It is not my authority. It is not me speaking. And the white robe reminds me that I'm covered over with the righteousness of Christ so that you pay no attention to the bearer of the word, but simply to the word. The second explanation, if I had better feet today, I would speak the text down in your midst. In my tradition, the preacher tells the word of God right in the midst of the congregation in order to say that God is not dead on a page 2,000 years ago, but God is present right in the middle of us. But it was a little hard to negotiate steps and whatever, so I'll not be in the middle of you. So I would ask you to do one thing instead, and that is not follow along in your Bibles when I speak the text. I think it's essential that we Christians learn better to listen and to put all of our energy into our ears, because as Scripture tells us, there is a blessing to those who hear. So do not follow along when the text is being proclaimed. And then you may open your Bibles for the sermon. In fact, that would be good if you did. But uh, let me encourage you to put all your energy into your ears to hear the word of the Lord. And my third explanation is that I never can preach or speak without beginning with the ancient phrases, the Lord be with you and also with you. And I say those phrases so that we remember we are a community in this place. I can't preach well unless the whole community is supporting. So when I say the Lord be with you, even as Boaz said to the reapers in the field, I am saying, God, watch over your ears, your heart, your life, that these words might be your words, God, to transform those who hear. And when you answer, and also with you, you are praying for my mouth and my mind, and you are committing yourself to support me so that I could enunciate what God wants to tell us all. So I ask people to be physical about it, to remind yourself of why you are saying what you are saying. So when I extend, excuse me, extend my hands to you, the Lord be with you, I'll ask you to extend your hands back and say, and also with you, and sound like you mean it, please. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 31. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Surely you shall observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath. You are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Six days' work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Shabbat Shabbaton, a ceasing of ceasings, 
a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perfect, perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For the Lord in six days made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God of resting, God of ceasing, your rest sounds so good we can taste it. When we hear songs of someday, when we see you face to face, when we sing about the future, we long for that great Sabbath with you. Thank you that in your tender mercy and infinite grace, you have given us a Sabbath here so that we might experience your eternity in part and have our appetites whetted for that day when we know you face to face. Stir up in us a longing to keep your day and observe your Sabbath, that we might enter into its holiness and discover its peace and joy. And we ask this confidently because we know it is your will, for you have commanded and we are eager to obey. Amen. If you'll turn to Exodus 31, I am eager for us to think about how good God's gift of Sabbath day is. And probably a lot of you keep Sabbath somewhat. But here we have a chance to think more deeply about what it might mean for us to learn God's Sabbath and God's great gift to us. And I'm especially thinking about the speaker yesterday who talked about core beliefs last night. And one of my core beliefs is that spirituality is always God's gift and that God working these gifts in us allows us the freedom of disciplines and that discipline then allows our lives to be lived so much more freely and Dallas Willard underscored that this morning that our character is formed by those disciplines so that then we don't want to steal much less do it so as we think about this particular discipline let's realize that it's based on a word that can be trusted. Notice in verses 12 and 13, and if your version has what I'm about to say, cut out, write it back in. 
But there are four uses of words like speak or say. Now, a lot of modern translations cut that out, but it's important. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying. Why so much about speaking and saying? Four times. A great Jewish four. To emphasize universally how true this is. And four uses of two words. Now this happens lots in the Torah. Four times there will be these verbs. And they're the two verbs, one of which, from it we get the word amen. So a speaking, that certainly is true. And the other, dabar, which in later Jewish history begins to mean event. If God says it, it will happen. It will be an event. Now we live in an age which Jacques Ellul characterized as one that has a humiliation of the word. And we're right in the thick of it now, aren't we, with the political campaigns where many people are giving many words that they have absolutely no intention of keeping. Or we are trained by advertisements not to believe words. And so words in our culture don't carry any weight. So what a gift to us to recover the Hebrew scripture's emphasis that this word is trustworthy. You can stake your life on it. What God says is the truth. And what's it's such a good word in an age when we say stupendous, extraordinary about laundry soap. So we have no words left for God. So we begin this morning with this enormous gift that God's word can be trusted, that it will be true. Now, I, I should warn you that this is not a three-point sermon because it's about Sabbath-keeping, so I had to have seven. Besides, we don't have very much time, and seven represents for the Jews perfection, so we'll just do this perfectly. But all of them depend on this number one. If God's word is not the utmost truth, if what God is about to give us will not transform our lives in the sense that Dallas Willard gave us this morning, then why do we bother being here? Why do we worship? But God is the faithful one and the true, and so he gives to us a gift. The gift is the Sabbath, a stopping. And that Sabbath as the sign, the sign that it's the Lord who sanctifies us, this unnameable one whose name we can't even say because it is so holy. This one sanctifies us. So Sabbath begins with this great freedom that God will make your Sabbath day a gift. God will make it a good ceasing and resting. God is in charge of this day. And when he says it is a sign and it is holy to us, what a great joy it is that God's the one that has to pull it off. Because every time I try, I don't. I can't. I won't. I'm not able 
I first learned about Sabbath keeping when I started my PhD. Everybody said, you're crazy. You can't do a PhD and not work one day a week. I discovered it was the only way to stay sane. But what I especially discovered is that when I got into all sorts of trouble at Notre Dame, because I actually believed the Bible was true, I would come again on Sabbath day to remember who said it and to remember that those accusations don't count in the scheme of things and that when I felt like I was failing at my graduate work because I was being put down or told that I was not too smart because I wouldn't put people down, in the midst of all that, this day was a sign that I wasn't standing before human judges. I was standing before God, and God is the one who is making me holy. God is the one who sanctifies. Do you see the freedom of that? But you're all ministers and students studying to be ministers and to serve the church full time. And the hardest thing for you to do is really let grace take over. Isn't that true? And it's so hard to get this wonderful balance that I think Dallas Willard made so clear today. Grace doesn't mean without effort, but it means without earning. That's such a good line. And Sabbath reminds us of that because you stop for one day thinking you're the Messiah. And the church can get along just right well without you for one day. So you disconnect the phone. You don't think about all the people that have to get in touch with you. And you learn that they will survive quite well without you. Because God is the only one necessary. I think it's a great sign. And it's a wonderful freedom. So secondly, it's a welcoming and a sign of who changes you. Third, you observe this Sabbath day because it is holy. And that is one of the most wonderful gifts of, I call it, embracing. It's sort of like why I always sit in the front. I sit in the front because I'm visually impaired and I want to be able to see. So if I sit really up close, I kind of feel like I'm more embraced by it all. Sabbath is a day to sit close so that we know how God embraces us so that we can embrace God's way of life. The Jews symbolize that with a wonderful custom. After the mother of the house has lit the Sabbath candles, two or else one with the wick, the person goes like this, three times over the flame. The day is already holy. You are just entering into the holiness that's already there. And the same way with all of our lives. So a Sabbath day helps us practice that I don't crank out the holiness. It's holiness already in God. And when I enter into God's life, I participate in triune holiness. So the day is a reminder of that, and it helps you sit close. This morning, I suddenly had a new insight. I was reading a text totally unrelated, and it mentioned goodness. And I suddenly saw that the philosophical trio, which all the great philosophers have told us our human psyches need, truth, beauty, and goodness, 
are brought together in the Sabbath day because it is the truth of God's holiness, the doctrinal truth of justification and sanctification. It is the spirituality of obeying the day. And it is the ethics of living out the implications of that day. And suddenly truth in doctrine, beauty in spirituality, and goodness in ethics becomes one. Because the day is already holy. Fourth, it seems a bit tough, don't you think, that all of a sudden God says, everyone who profanes this day shall surely be put to death. It sounds like God's out to get us if we don't get it right. But certainly that's not the kind of God we have, is it? So what could this mean? Surely be put to death. And it says it twice in verse 14 and 15 or whatever verses they are. And you're cut off from your people. What a terrible thing. And I would guess that all of you deserve to be dead. But what is God saying here? I don't think God is saying that he wishes for us to be dead, but that he grieves. He grieves because we're killing ourselves. How easily we don't really stop. Shabbat means to stop. Not only stopping our work, but stop worrying about the work. Ah, there's the rub. Not only stop worrying about it, but stop needing to work to think you're important in the first place. How our lives in this culture are driven, driven by the need to accomplish. I would guess many of you go to bed and bemoan, oh, I didn't get much done tonight, today. Isn't Sabbath wonderful? I go to bed and say, whoopee, I got nothing done. What a freedom to move from accomplishment into simply being the beloved of God. Ceasing is to stop and stop in every dimension of our lives. I was last week at Roberts Wesleyan College and Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, New York. And a young professor there took me aside and said, it's so hard being a professor at a Christian school. We have to teach four classes and all the students that we encounter. And, and I've got two children at home. I want to spend time with that. And then there's no time to write. Does this sound like your life? And I suggested Sabbath keeping as a great spiritual tool for us to cope with that constant barrage of things you have to do. And she says, well, I do keep the Sabbath. And I said, do you also stop worrying about your work? You see, Sabbath is a day to totally set all that aside. When I first started, I had a little basket. And whenever I thought of a worry thing on Sunday, I'd write something down on the, on the piece of paper and throw it in the basket. Just enough to remember tomorrow and then don't pay attention to the basket till tomorrow. Now I have a study. Throw the papers in, close the door. But I discovered the longer I had the habit of Sabbath keeping, the less I thought about those things in the first place. The greatest cause of death in North America is heart attack. What causes heart attack? Stress. 
One of the other leading causes of death is stroke. What causes stroke? Stress. What about a whole day to set that aside? And in practicing eternity, in practicing getting God's perspective on things, we learn to live that way the rest of the week so that pretty soon we don't have the anxiety and the tension and the burdens the rest of the week either. God doesn't want us to be put to death. God doesn't want us to be cut off from the people, but we do it to ourselves. The Jews say it's not so much that they kept the Sabbath, but that the Sabbath kept the Jews. I saw in a concentration camp exhibit how the people kept the Sabbath because in the midst of the darkest hours of their lives, they remembered that the Lord was still God and that that God who made the heavens and the earth had not quit. So you and I, the death warrant reminds us how important it is to totally stop And then to enter into the gift of this day, this great gift of God speaking in our ear. For you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. No place does it say, if you get your work done, I love you. No place does it say how much you have to accomplish. One of the worst things that ever happened to me was I lost my vision for seven months because my only seeing eye bled. And I had a terrible time during those months because I couldn't accomplish anything. I was so busy complaining about it, I didn't realize the great gift of it for me to learn that God doesn't rack up points for me, but that God simply wants me to learn to rest in God's life and not have to prove myself not have to justify my existence, but to be set free, to simply rest. And that's what the rest, that's what verse 15 goes on to say, that on six days you can work, but on the seventh day it's a Shabbat, Shabbaton, a ceasing of ceasings, stopping all those things that keep you from rest. Now I want us to widen our understanding of rest too, Not just physical rest, but emotional rest, intellectual rest, social rest. All the things in Psalm 23. Knowing the Lord's my shepherd, and so I spiritually rest. Knowing that God will lead me besides the waters of Menuhot, stillness and tranquility and harmony, so that I can rest. God will lead me into intellectual rest because it's his righteousness and he will lead me and even give me the gifts of rod and staff discipline to remind me. Gifts of emotional rest in the dark shadows of the valley of death and in the midst of those I fear not because I am able to rest in the all-encompassing sovereignty of God. And social rest, a table in the presence of my enemies So what about if you have somebody in the church that drives you nuts? Why not invite them to Sabbath dinner? And because it's the Sabbath day, you don't talk about work. 
You simply enjoy the, each other as persons in the midst of grace. Set a table, God's table, of Sabbath feasting, a foretaste of the feast to come, and see how God transforms our relationships. It's complete rest. What helps me most to live that way is knowing that it's not a day off. It's a day four. And it's a day four relearning this great gift. This gift that God, in God's great mercy, didn't just suggest because he knew he wouldn't keep it. So he commanded it. And as Dallas Willard so wonderfully reminded us this morning, the key to our spirituality is obedience. And in the obeying of the Sabbath command, I discover the truth of rest. And then number six in verse 16, you are to observe the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath as a perpetual covenant. Yesterday, Alistair McGrath talked about heaven, recognizing heaven now. Today, Ginny sang so beautifully about the day when I bring everything to God and know that God is the king of glory. But Sabbath is a feasting now, feasting with every dimension of your life. When I was a wee little kid, I had a special dress for Sabbath day. And for a long time until uh, I, I couldn't any longer, I belonged in an African-American congregation because they know how to feast. They dress up for worship. They feast with their whole bodies in worship. And then afterwards, we actually really do have a fellowship hour and a half or three. Because in that community, we feast in fellowship. We don't just think it's coffee and cookies in the narthex after worship, where we bid our hasty adieu and run off to our merry old life. Feasting in community, but most of all, envisioning. Envisioning the eschatological presence that God's kingdom is already here and recollect ourselves in that presence of the kingdom so that we can live kingdom all week long. I need a day. I need a day of concerts or walking in the park or celebrating the beauty of creation or going to an art museum or reading fairy tales and poetry and all the right brain things I don't do. All the joy of a day when I don't have to, should, ought to, or must do anything, but I'm set free to relish the presence of God. And in that feasting, anticipate the day. It's like swimming. On land right now, I don't move real well. But when I get my brace off and throw my crutches on the side and get into the water, I can be a dolphin. And I can swim through the water and, and soar into the air, kind of, sort of, somewhat. But experience the freedom of not all these earthly hindrances. That's what Sabbath is like. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm not saying you'll do very well at Sabbath. But that's what's so enjoyable about calling it a practice. You're only practicing till the final feast. And the neat thing about it is you get to practice every week. 
So at the end of the day, when you pray the Havdalah and bid farewell, you recognize, oh, I'm just so human still. The Sabbath is just so broken still. But someday, someday as Hebrews promises us, we will enter into that Sabbath rest. And that's why the end of the text is so important. Throughout all your generations, a sign forever, a perpetual covenant. And why? Because we imitate God. And we imitate God's own refreshment. And God, who will not change, is there ever-present to invite us into the eternity that we will someday know in full. That God still desires that we learn to stop, that we learn really to rest, that we embrace the kingdom by which we are embraced, that we learn really to feast and anticipate the wonder of God. That God still desires it. Jesus kept the Sabbath and invites us too. I always like to kid, why do you think he stayed in the grave on Saturday? He was resting, perhaps. But Jesus still calls you. God still calls you. Come then, children, with your burdens, life's demands and confusions and fears and pains. Leave them at the cross of Jesus and take instead his kingdom's reign. Bring your thirsts. Only God will quench them. Only God can satisfy. So the Sabbath is a gift to recognize that all our longings are for another world, are for eternity. And one day a week, we get to inhabit it. All our longings find attainment when to self we gladly die. Let us pray. Father, we are coming by your Son's invitation and mercy. We receive the gift of your Sabbath rest and long for the day when we will fully enter into your eternal Sabbath. In the meanwhile, pour out upon us your Spirit and flood us with Shabbat Shalom, with the joy of eternity. In the name of Jesus, and by your Spirit's power, dear Heavenly Father. Amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.